Well, good morning. Haven't we had a wonderful morning of worship already? Let's give it up for the choir and the orchestra. I'm sure some of y'all are like, we've already had church to send us home, but you're not getting off that easy this morning. My name is Grace Marie Ward. I'm the worship arts director. If I have not had the privilege of, of meeting you yet, I just want to say it's a gift and a joy that I get to be with you all this morning. I'm just, I just feel honored that Pastor Jeff has asked me to share in this space. When I first came on staff here, uh, the first several years, I actually worked in this room for the contemporary service because we all shared a space at the time. So this room holds a special place in my heart for how I started my ministry here at Mount Horeb, and I'm just grateful for the opportunities um, we've had just, just since being at this church, and um, just glad to be here this morning with y'all. About seven or eight weeks ago, I was actually in Pastor Trevor's office, and we were sitting there, we were talking actually about this series, and we were going back and forth about all oh, these things are said in the Old Testament about who God is, and oh, but then over the New Testament, it says this about who God is, and as we were going back and forth, really trying to shape this whole series, uh, Megan Sanders walked in with her young boy who's about seven or eight, Jonah, and they come and sit in, and then, so she joins in on the conversation, and so she's like, oh yeah, and then, then it says this, the God who sees me, and we start going back and forth, and, and from the mouth of a child, he just looks up at us, and he says, wait a minute, so when you work here, you also get to solve mysteries of the Bible? And so we looked at each other, we were like, yeah, I guess, I guess that is what we get to do. And then he says, cool, you guys are Bible detectives. And so for a seven or eight year old, that was very exciting. And I would say this morning, that is what we get to do. We get to search the scriptures together and we get to see the things that God has for us as we unpack what we get to learn today from the passages of scripture. You see, when we give something a name, it usually comes from a really personal place. I'm sure that probably everyone in here has had the chance to name something or someone before. And there's usually a lot of influence that goes into deciding what the name's gonna be. For me, I can think of two things I've had to name, okay? Here's the first one, I'll show you a picture. My adorable dog, Casey, okay? Everybody say, aww. She's adorable, I love her. She's 13 now. But when I first got her, I had to come up with her name, and it was not hard, and let me tell you why. When I was really small, I grew up in Timmonsville, Florence, South Carolina area, and when I, oh, somebody's from there. Amen, holler, okay. Or Hartsville, that's close enough, that's close enough. So I, I, I grew up there, and my parents, when I was little, they got me a blonde cocker spaniel, much just like that one. And so they came up with the name Casey. I don't think I had too much to do with that. But see, within a very short amount of time, because we lived in the country, I don't think it lived super long. And so I think my dad just told me it got lost in the woods. I don't think that's true either. Dad, we're coming clean about that after the service. Um, but I remember them getting me another dog. And they got another blonde cocker, cocker spaniel. So it was time to come up with what to name it. And it was like Casey number two. So we just kept it going with the, with the names. And so when I was an adult and had to get my own dog, I said, oh, I'm going with the blonde cocker spaniel. And I definitely know what I'm naming it. I'm naming her Casey. There was an influence that already had been happening that helped me pick, figure out what I wanted to name my dog. There's another thing I've had to name. Here she is. Sophia, okay, I mean, goodness. I was not a cat person, but about a year ago, January, I was at my nanny's house out in the country in Timmonsville, and I was getting ready to leave, and this little kitty starts meowing and chasing after me, and it had snowed that day, which is a rare, rare treat for us, right? And it looked cold, and it looked hungry, and even though I'm like, I don't typically love cats, I just felt in that moment I needed to take this cat. I got a box, and I took it home, and I remember 
when I got home, I was trying to figure out what am I gonna name this little kitty? So I started thinking, I said, okay, my nanny, I'm really close to my nanny, I always have been. I found it at her house in her barn and our favorite show to watch together since I was really little was the Golden Girls. I might be confessing that to Pastor Faye at this moment. I don't know if that's a good or a positive thing, but we watch the Golden Girls and we actually still do when I'm there visiting her. And so I had to pick from one of those names and I had to pick the sassiest one of all, Sophia. So that's how I came up with my cat's name, Sophia. Everyone in here has been given a name that you had nothing to do with, I would, I would assume. There was some sort of personal influence, some outside situation that gave someone an idea of what to actually call you and to give you your name. My name is Grace Marie, and people often ask me, should I call you both? Oh, yes. Yes, you should. (laughs) And let me explain why. When they were trying to figure out what to call me when I was born, it was not going to be a favoritism name, okay? We couldn't show favoritism to one side or the other. And I had a great-grandmother named Grace Harrell. And then I had a great grandmother named Marie Watford. And so somebody wanted their name in in my name. And I'm sure some of you know what that's like. You want your grandbaby named after you. Is that right? And so when they were deciding what my name was going to be, it was my Aunt Marcia who came to the point and said, hey, why don't we just put them together and call her Grace Marie? It was a name. They had never met anyone named Grace Marie. I've never met anyone named Grace Marie. But that's what they decided to call me. So when people say, should I call you Grace Marie? Yes, you should. I still have fear of starting a family feud over both of my names not being included. You see, when we call someone by a name, there's been an influence that has caused someone to get to that point where that is their name. It means something. It comes from somewhere. We're in this series called Call Upon the Name. And it's all about looking through the Old Testament and seeing some of the different names that have been given to God, some that people gave to God, but others that God revealed about himself. And then the people of God began to call God by these specific names. It was a way to deepen their relationship with him. It was a way to deepen their understanding of who God was. And when we pray, when we understand all the different characteristics about God, it it is a richness and we can pray with him with a whole new understanding. So this morning we're going to look at what they say is probably the most quoted passage in the entire Old Testament. It's been read beside the bedside of many who were sick It's been quoted in the soldiers' foxholes over those who were severely wounded. And it has been spoken of over people as a sense of peace as they've gone through their darkest nights of their life. And it's Psalm 23. If you want to follow along with us, we're going to be on the screen as we walk through this passage together this morning. It starts off Psalm 23, verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd I shall not be in want. The Lord is my shepherd. You see, when David begins this psalm, he calls God by this name, Jehovah Ra'ah. I want everyone to say that with me. Are you ready? Jehovah Ra'ah. This name of God had been actually revealed before. 
And when he's coming before God and he's saying, Jehovah, that's who you are to me. God, you are my shepherd. It meant a lot of things to him. And we'll unpack what that meant. The first thing is the word Jehovah. The word Jehovah was the proper name that the people of Israel gave to God. It meant the existing one. He was the one true God. He was the God over all things. He was Jehovah. So many names that you see in the Hebrew language have this word Jehovah attached to it, some that we'll be looking at over the next several weeks. But then also we have this word Ra'ah. This word is very rich because it means to feed, to tend, to pasture, figuratively to care for, to guard over and to rule. It was their idea of shepherding, Jehovah Ra'ah. You see, King David knew a thing or two about shepherds, didn't he? Before he was called and anointed as king, he was actually a young shepherd boy himself. He had been given a flock that he was charged to take care of. He was entrusted and it was a special job because when you're a shepherd, you invest your life in the care and the concern of the sheep. You fully invest your life and you don't make decisions about the sheep from far away. You live your life among the sheep. It was a very, very special job. But see, King David also has a different understanding of shepherd because in the ancient East, this word shepherd was not just used to only refer to people who were actual literal shepherds who led sheep. Oftentimes it was referred to as anyone who was in a political or spiritual place of influence over a group of people. They were considered a shepherd. They were called, called to guard. They were called to rule over a group of people. And so you have King David who's in this moment when he's writing this Psalm and he is taking all of his influence of being a shepherd over a sheep. He's taking all the personal experience and influence of being a king over the people of Israel and he's pulling all of that experience together and he comes before God and he says, God, you are my Jehovah Ra'ah, you are my shepherd. You see, to know the Lord as shepherd, you must see yourself as a sheep. You must see yourself as a sheep. Now, if we're honest and we're, we're to our core about this, we don't love that idea. We don't love the idea that we need somebody to take care of us. Because admitting you're a sheep that needs a shepherd is saying, I can't do it on my own. The sheep were not the sharpest animals in the barnyard. I don't know if you've heard that before, but apparently that is true. They were not the sharpest ones. and They actually would not make it without a shepherd, without someone taking care of them. That is what is happening when this passage is being unfolded, an understanding of that. There is an admitting that I can't do this on my own. David is saying, I can't lead my own life. I can't fully take care of myself. I need someone to take care of me. You see, when David was saying that he needed a shepherd and God was his shepherd, he was also saying no one else will be my shepherd. There'll be no other ruler in my life. There'll be no greater political or spiritual influence over me than God himself. Essentially, he's saying, take my life because you're the one who rules over me, you are my Jehovah Ra'ah. 
You see, David's been through a lot of life. I don't know if you studied a lot about King David, but I encourage you to go back and look through the scriptures in the Old Testament and see a little more about his life. But King David was anointed as king as a very, very young boy, someone who was seen as a nobody. He also defeated Goliath as a young boy. He was also very uh, hated by King Saul. He dealt with so much bitterness from him that he had been chosen to be king one day. He had been chased by enemies and feared for his very life, actually having to hide in caves. He had failed morally with Bathsheba and had an affair with her. And then he ended up taking someone and putting them at the front of the battlefield, the front of the line, so they would be murdered. And he covered his whole sin up. You see, David had been through a season or two of ups and of downs. He had led the kingdom of Israel with the desire to please God. He was actually referred to as a man after God's own heart. King David knew, hey, I'm a sheep. I need a shepherd. I need a shepherd to take care of me. Let's look at the passage as it goes on over the next few verses. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. See, ultimately when David is writing this, he's admitting to have a shepherd lead you, you must admit your need to be led. To have the shepherd actually lead you to green pastures where you're gonna be ultimately satisfied. To have the shepherd lead you beside still waters where you can truly experience restoration and be refreshed. To have the shepherd lead you when you come to certain decisions and paths and you don't know which path to take. You have to be someone who says, hey, I need to be led. And David knew he needed guiding. David knew he needed restoring. David knew he needed leading, sustaining, protecting. And you see that because all throughout this passage, he keeps saying he, 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 he's the one who leads me to these places. Oftentimes what I've discovered is we're really not that interested sometimes about being led to where he wants to take us. When I was around five years old, my mom says it was a record-breaking summer heat day here in South Carolina. And I was around five, my brother was around three, and my smallest brother, Josh, was around one. And so we loaded up in our little station wagon. We were going around the corner and we pull up into my nanny's driveway and my mom says, all right, I'm gonna run in real quick. I'm gonna grab something. I need you to stay in the car. Since I was the oldest, I was five years old. I guess I was put in charge, which I guess I was fine with that. And so both of my other brothers were in car seats. And so my mom gets out, turns the car off, runs inside, says, I'll be just a minute. It only took me a few seconds to be like, hey, I don't wanna stay in the car. I feel like I'm missing out. Maybe I wanted to go say hey too. It'll be real quick. I'll just jump out and go do that. And so it didn't take me long and I just realized I'm just gonna get out of the car and I'm gonna run onto the porch. So I got out, I ran onto the porch and I'm, in a few seconds I was standing beside my mom and she looks down at me and says, what are you doing? And I'm like, I'm here to say hey too, just real quick. She says, where are your brothers? In the car like they should be. That was my answer, I was very proud. 
It only took a few seconds for me to realize there was a panic that was about to break out because she rushes back to the car. And for some reason on accident, when I got out of the car, I accidentally locked the car. So here we have the car locked, keys in it, ignition off, record-breaking day of heat here in South Carolina that day, and the two brothers sitting in their car seats just beginning to sweat. Now, the littlest one begins to cry profusely. I mean, it's just so hot in the car, and a panic begins to break out. And I'm panicking because I'm like, I'm going to get a spanking later. Somebody get this door open right now. And so as this is all going on, my parents or my mom decides there's one way to reason this situation without having to break any windows or anything. It was, it was all dependent on my three-year-old brother. He sat there in his car seat. He was strapped in. And so my mom says to him through the window, Michael, I need you to undo your car seat and I need you to crawl over and just unlock the door. This was his response. I'm thinking, come on, Michael, get it together. I'm going to get in trouble. So they tell him again. They tell him again. Listen, we know we've told you over and over and over and over again that you are never under any circumstances allowed to take your belt off of your car seat. You are never allowed to get out of this thing yourself, but I'm changing the rule and I'm telling you, you can undo it and just reach right over and unlock the button. It just wasn't gonna happen. And so because the heat was so bad and there was so much crying and we were just like, okay, we're gonna have to like, this is dangerous at this point. Uh, my grandfather had to actually get some bricks and a blanket, bust the window open in order to unlock it and rescue them. And I definitely got the punishment that I deserved later, I'm sure. Oftentimes we're not that interested in being told what to do, are we? My mom told me, stay in the car. Mama said, I'll be right back. I just didn't want to listen. I think too often when it comes to our prayer lives, a lot of times we just avoid the whole thing because we're like, oh, I'm scared God's going to tell me to do that. So I'm just going to act like that didn't happen. I'm just going to avoid it altogether. I'm not going to take the time to try to think through what I should do in this job situation or this financial situation or this relationship situation because I would rather just kind of do my own thing and figure it out myself because we really value that, don't we, in our culture, figuring out things on our own, being strong, independent, forging our own way. We don't want to admit that we need someone to lead us. You see, when... David is talking about green pastures here. He's confident that God is the one who can lead him to green pastures where he will be satisfied more than anything else. But many of us spend our time and our energies looking for other pastures where we think it's gonna be greener. We think, oh, we're missing out. I mean, I know the shepherd led us to this field but when I was passing by a flock yesterday, I heard them mumbling about a greener field. I mean, I, I mean, I think our shepherd wants best for us, but for some reason, I think their shepherd's actually taking them where they can run free with no gate, no fence. That sounds a lot better. And we begin to get inside of our heads and we begin to think we are missing out on something instead of being satisfied with the places that God is leading us and trusting that he has our best interest in mind. Maybe it's time for some of you to put away all the self-help books, 
Put away all the podcasts. Put away the gossip circle that you got going on when you're trying to figure out what to do with your life and what decisions to make about this or that. And you just need to stop and be in the presence of the Lord and say, I need to be led. Show me the greener pastures. Show me the still waters where I can receive restoration. Show me the paths that I should be walking in. And I trust you with that. The passage goes on and it says this in verse four. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. You see, David is saying, oh, there's gonna be deep canyons. There's gonna be dark valleys. There's gonna be difficult circumstances, but he knew this to be true. To know the peace of the shepherd, you must be aware of his presence. To know the peace of the shepherd, you must be aware of his presence, that he's there with you and he'll never leave you, even though you're going through those circumstances. But here's what I know to be true about us as humans. When we're going through the hard things, it's really easy to get locked in on the circumstances, isn't it? Instead of experiencing any sort of peace, we go into full chaos because we're looking at the circumstances around us and everything that's going on. When I was doing youth ministry, before I got into worship ministry a while back, it was probably 12 or 13 years ago, I went on this youth group trip and we went down to the beach. It was at the church that I previously worked at. And we went down to the beach and I brought with me my newly purchased kayak, okay? I don't know how many of y'all have ever kayaked before, but I, I get super into hobbies like for a bit of time. And so I got this kayak and I was like, oh, it's gonna be awesome. And so let me explain my kayak to you. Usually when you go in the ocean and you have a kayak, it's an open bottom when you just sit on top of it. And so as water splashes over it, it goes through the bottom and you can jump right off, you can fall off. It's, it's very, very very safe for an ocean setting. Well, my kayak was a river kayak. It was meant for more whitewater stuff. And so you actually sat down into the kayak and then around your waist, you wore something called a skirt. And it was this tight material that wrapped around your torso. And then it covered the lip that went all the way around the kayak. The idea was that when you're inside of this kayak with the skirt on and it's all tight, that no water could get inside of the boat. So if you're in the water and it's splashing it, you're safe. If you tip over, no water can get inside of the boat because if you tip over, you should be able to flip yourself back over. I would like to say to be able to flip yourself back over, you have to have a very strong core. I did not have, and I do not have a very strong core, okay? And so I take this boat out and my friend Daniel, he's helping me and he says, you know, if you flip over, you can try the roll where you flip, flip yourself back over. I had never even practiced it before. So this was, not, this was not a good start to my trip out in the ocean. He says, but you have actually a little strap on the very, very front of the skirt you're wearing. You just pull that and it immediately will fill the boat with water, spit you right out because you have a, a life jacket on. I thought, easy enough, let's do this thing. So I'm getting in the boat and I'm all strapped in. I got my paddle. And so we're going out into the ocean. So he gets me out there and he says, okay, we're gonna turn you around and you're gonna ride this wave in. I'm like, all right, let's do it. I was very adventurous at the time. I am not so much anymore because of stories like this. So I begin to ride the wave and he says, oh, here's coming, it's coming. It's gonna, it's gonna take you all the way back to the shore. I'm like, okay. So I got it. 
I'm there, the wave comes, it picks me up. At first, this is great. I mean, I'm just going along, I'm paddling, I'm steering. After a few seconds, I realize I'm not really steering this thing anymore. I act like I'm steering it. I have no control over this boat. And within a few seconds, the boat turned completely sideways and just toppled right over. Now, when this happened, I went into full blown panic mode. The very first thing I tried to do was what I had remembered, flip yourself back over. Well, let me tell you, I spent the next 20 seconds trying to flip myself back over with every bit of energy that I had and I could not do it. And I was absolutely panicking under the water. People were watching from shore and they were seeing what was happening and people were swimming towards me because I had been flipped over for a little bit and I could not get back. I couldn't reach over, I couldn't do anything. And the thought went through my mind, I'm actually going to drown on this youth group trip. Like I have nothing else that I can do. And I remember at the very last second, I felt like I was about to pass out. And I remembered the safety strap. And with the little bit of energy I had left, I reached down, I pulled it, and immediately the boat filled with water and shot me right out. You see, too often, we spend all of the energy that we have in absolute panic mode. We can't experience any peace, but all the while there is something there that is our safety, that is our rescue, that is the thing that can make us hold on in our darkest night. What I know to be true is there are people in this room who have experienced this and you know exactly what I'm talking about. You've gotten a diagnosis that you have no idea what's gonna happen. You've gotten a phone call from a family member where it seems like things are absolutely falling apart and you have no idea what's gonna happen. You've experienced a loss in your life and you feel like I can never start over again because I'm going through this thing, what am I gonna do? But you know what I'm talking about when, you say, when I say you experienced a peace that passes all understanding. Because when you know the shepherd is with you, when you know the promises of God that he will never leave you, he will never forsake you, he will continue to guide you even in the very valley of death, there's a comfort and there's a peace that only he can bring. No matter how dark the valley, no matter how deep the canyon, the presence of God promises to stay with us even in those moments. King David understood that, he had been there. And all of this experience is coming out in this beautiful Psalm. He wraps it up in verse six when he says this, surely goodness and love, some translations say mercy, which I love that better. Surely goodness and mercy or goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. See, when you first read this, goodness and mercy will follow me, it's, it feels very tame. But when you really unpack what's actually being said here, it's so much richer. You see this word to follow in Hebrew is the word radaf. This word radaf has a whole different meaning. It actually means to chase, to run after something, to be in full pursuit of something. I don't know about you, but when I think of something chasing me, it's usually not positive, right? 
When I think of being chased, maybe some of you have before, you're being chased by an animal or a wild dog, not positive. You want to get away from that thing. When I think about being chased or someone running after me, I think about sports. I used to play basketball. I bet some of y'all did, or some of you play football or watch football. And when there is an interception or you steal the ball and you're running up the court or down the field, you're running in full force towards the goal. And guess what's right behind you? Your opponent who is chasing you down. They are running after you. They're in full pursuit of you. You do not want to be caught. This is often seen as a negative thing, right? This word doesn't make a whole lot of sense to us. Or maybe for some of you, when you think about it, you can understand it because you've been cruising over the dam about 75 miles an hour, listening to your music, and all of a sudden, blue lights in the rear view are in full pursuit of you. Do you know what I'm talking about? I do. Usually being sought after like this is a very negative connotation, right? This radaf, but guess what? David understood what it meant to be chased. David understood he had fled for years of his life from King Saul, from his army that was after him. He knew what it was like to run away from enemies, but he's saying, oh, but let me tell you friends, let me tell you that the goodness and the mercy of God has been chasing me every day of my life. Some people say that the goodness and the mercy of God are like the sheepdogs of the flock. I love this. That they're constantly bringing up the rear. They're constantly pushing you towards and helping you remember. Keep following your shepherd. Stay in line. Remember, remember the goodness of God, the, the love of God that's constantly chasing after you no matter where you've wandered off to. When you start to look at other pastures, the goodness and the mercy of God comes around you and pushes you back towards the good shepherd who longs to lead you. This is what it means for the goodness and the mercy of God to follow after you in a full-blown chase, running pursuit. How many of you have experienced that before? I know that I have. I know that I have. Chasing after me all the days of my life, this goodness of God that I don't deserve and none of us truly do, and David is saying, the Lord is my shepherd, the one who will continue to run after and chase me every day in my life, even when I feel like I'm lagging and falling behind and looking at other pastures. Because David knew the Lord as a shepherd and he had to see himself as a sheep. David knew to have the shepherd lead you, he had to admit that he needed to be led to know the peace of the shepherd he's talking about. He knew I've gotta be aware of his presence no matter how dark this valley is getting. And when we live with that realization, friends, we can experience a hope beyond. Now Jesus in John chapter 10 is talking to a crowd of people and he's talking to these people and these people would have completely understood this idea of shepherding. It was still a very, very common occupation. And so he gets, to this point with this crowd and he looks at them and he says this to them in John chapter 10. You can follow along if you would like, verses one through four. Jesus says to the crowd, I tell you the truth, the man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of his sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. When he has brought out all of his own, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. 
Now to understand this imagery that's happening here, we need to understand a few things about sheep pens in that day. So the shepherds at the time would bring their sheep often when they were in a place that was dangerous or there was, was known to be a place where there were more thieves and robbers or wild animals. And the shepherds had built a sheep pen, which was basically built a very simple enclosure of stones. Um, and always at the top of it, they would run like thorns along it. And it just was this very simple enclosure and it only had one gate. There was one way of which the shepherd would enter into it and call his sheep and exit out of it with his sheep. There were many thieves and robbers during this day that would seek to take the sheep from shepherds. This pen, this sheep pen was, was meant and designed to protect the sheep from the outside influences, from the animals, from all of these things that would be there. And the gate was the true way to enter and exit and to call them. Remember shepherds still at this time in this time period would have been understood as anybody who has gained influence over you, any ruler, that is trying to call you into doing something different. And Jesus is saying to these people, there are gonna be people who are going to try to deceive you. There are gonna be people who are going to gain access to your life and speak into your life and they never should be allowed to do that. Maybe it's through a relationship in your life. Maybe it's through a computer. Maybe it's through the news you watch. Maybe it's through the books you read or the TV shows you watch. But people have somehow gained access to us and have convinced us sometimes that the shepherd is no longer worthy to be followed. Jesus is saying to these people, there are gonna be people who come along who are gonna to try to access you and they're gonna be sneaky and they're gonna be manipulative and their ultimate goal is to draw you away from the shepherd who wants to lead you to life. But Jehovah Raha is the only way to experience life. Go on and see what it says in verse three and four, some of the phrases it says that he calls his own sheep by name. I love that. And the sheep follow him because they know his voice. You know, many scholars say that shepherds would name their sheep just like we name our household pets. And that each shepherd had a distinct call that he would make. And all the sheep that belonged to that shepherd knew what his call was. You see, in order to hear the call of the shepherd, you must recognize his voice. You must recognize his voice above every other voice that is speaking into your life, that is trying to gain access and influence on your, over your life to pull you this way or that way, which is only creating a life of chaos. Friends, I'll, I'll say this, the voice of God sounds like love, hope, beginning again. The voice of God sounds like follow after me. The voice of God does not sound like, you know what, I've tried to rescue you too many times. You keep falling in the canyon and we're not coming after you again. That is not what the voice of God sounds like. The voice of God says, I will keep calling after you to follow me, to follow me, to follow me, no matter where you are, no matter what you're going through. But friends, we have to know the voice that's calling us which means we often have to tune out the other voices. This past summer, I took up a new hobby, birding. I know, right? Shocked. 
I did not think this would be a hobby I would take up. In fact, there's a picture of my mom and I up in the upstate birding. I mean, I went all in like binoculars, like got new outfits. She did the same thing. It's like, I'm gonna get all into this hobby. And it all happened because I went on one bird walk with someone at this church on this property. And I began to be intrigued. I'm like, wow, this is amazing. I never knew that all these birds had their own unique calls. Like they all have their own calls, their own songs. And if you study them and know them, you can hear them. And so I, being the nerd that I am, decided, oh, I'm going all in on this. So I got the app where I can listen to all the bird noises, bird sounds, bird calls, and I would try to remember which is which. And I got the books and I start studying which one have two wing bars of white and which one have these uh, eye rings and which one has this buffy color on the front. I mean, my friends are like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I'm birding. This is fun. I used to call it bird watching. And I quickly learned if you're really into it, you call it birding. It's not bird watching. And so I've taken several friends out with me and here's what I've, I've learned. Like I am so into it because I'm so focused on the different calls that are happening. And I'll be sitting there in the middle of the woods and I'll just say, red-eyed vireo. Oh, gray gnat catcher, Carolina chickadee. I'll begin to call these things out. Brown-headed nuthatch. And um, my friends at they come with me to, to be involved, but they're making fun of me the whole time. I know it, but here, here's the thing. If I didn't know the different voices and the different calls, you know what I'd be hearing standing in the woods? Just a ton of noise, just a ton of birds tweeting and making noise. I would just hear it all around, but because I've begun to learn the different sounds and learn what to look for in different habitat and different areas, I've learned the calls of the birds. Let me tell us today, here's the reality. We've got all kind of voices speaking in our life, don't we? We've got all kind of influences that have gained access to us that we're allowing to speak over our mind and our heart and it's actually changing the way we choose to follow after God. We start questioning things and saying, well, I mean, I thought that God was this way, but then this thing's saying with this, maybe God isn't this kind of God anymore. Or maybe for some of you, it's living up to the expectations of other people and the influences around you to be something that you're not able to be. And that constant pressure, that voice that you're not worthy, you can't live up to it is just overwhelming you. Maybe for some of us, it's your own inner voice that is trying to convince you, oh, you're not worthy to be sought after by God. Oh no, you've, you've messed up too much. Oh, you've wandered too far. Oh, that dark valley, mm, other sheep don't want to go near that. You might want to stay away from the flock. Sometimes it's that inner voice of shame that's constantly speaking to us, saying, don't follow the shepherd anymore. The voice is saying, no, 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 check out this river. That's way more satisfying. Check out this field, it's way greener. Check out this path, it'll lead you somewhere new. You can run around, nobody will tell you, you can't. So often, that's where we find ourselves. We have forgotten to listen to the voice of the shepherd who's calling after us. There's a story uh, from World, World War I that there were these soldiers that tried to steal a group of sheep along the hillside in Jerusalem. 
And the story goes that the shepherd wakes up. He wakes up and he realizes that his sheep are being driven out by these soldiers. And in that moment, he knew he couldn't do anything to try to force them back to him. He was just overpowered. There was no way it would be able to happen. But you know what he did instead? He said in that moment, he stood and he just began to call his sheep by name. He began to make his call to his sheep and the sheep turned and ran towards him. And the soldiers couldn't stop it because those sheep knew who he belonged to. They knew who they belonged to and they came running with the call of the shepherd. But in order for us to be able to come back and to, to, to be able to follow after, we've gotta know the voice that is calling us into a life of abundance. Jesus goes down and starts to finish this passage by, by saying this in verse 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Jesus announces this, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Jesus makes this announcement to all these people as he's been telling this illustration. I am the good shepherd. See, there's gonna be all kind of people that are calling you out. In these sheep pens, when the, when the night was over and the morning came, the sheep, the shepherds would step into the gate and they began to call and the different sheep would only follow their master and they would lead them out to pasture. Jesus is saying, I am the good shepherd. I am the full fulfillment of Jehovah Raha. Here's my presence, I'm here with you and I'm laying down my very life so that you can experience, what does the passage say? Life to the full. Some translations say an abundant life. An abundant life when we choose to follow after Jesus. Here's the thing we can all remember this morning. Jesus is calling out your name. Just as it says in the passage, he's calling you by name and you need to hear his voice. He's calling out your name no matter what canyon you feel like you've fallen into, no matter how much you feel like you've wandered, no matter if you're right there with the shepherd amongst the sheep and you're getting weary in your soul because you feel like I've been doing this for years and it's getting hard. Jesus is still calling out your name. He's continually calling out your name no matter what season you're in. The question is, do we call out his name? Do we take the time in prayer to stop and to fall before the Lord and say, I'm gonna quiet all the other voices in my life and I'm gonna say, Lord, you are the good shepherd. You desire to lead to life. You desire to lead a life for me to live in fullness in your presence. But how often do we just tune that out? And so our question and our opportunity to respond with our life this week is, are we gonna be the kind of people who call out the name of God? Even when we feel shameful, even when we feel like we're far away, even when we feel like we don't deserve it anymore, even when we feel like the other sheep have told us that we're not worth it anymore, do we believe we can continue to call on the name of God no matter where we are? I'm grateful that I heard him calling my name and I've been seeking to follow after him, even though it's been hard at times and there's been seasons of ups and downs, I still hear him calling my name and I never wanna to get to a place where I don't wanna call on his name anymore or I give up. 
That's our call this morning. So what we're gonna do to respond is we're just gonna sing an old hymn, one that I love, always have loved. And it's really a song of surrender saying, God, I want you to be the one to lead me no matter what I go through. Because we need to believe church, no matter where we are, no matter where we wander, we can always call on him, amen. I wanna invite you to stand. If you would like the opportunity to pray, of course you can come forward to pray and to kneel, but we're gonna sing this out in response. He leadeth me, oh blessed thought, oh words with heavenly comfort fraught, whate'er I do, where'er I be, still tis God's hand that leadeth me. Sing it, church. That's the invitation for us. Even when we leave here, when we go out and we face the things and the circumstances that we need to, he's always saying, follow after me. And he always desires to lead us until we're eternally in his presence forever. Amen.
You guys have a great day. Go in peace.